Well, I didn't quite know what to call this lesson. The document in my, uh, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, by the way. The document in my computer has this lesson titled, uh, um, Keep Pressing In. The title that I have on my paper is Established and Assured. I have a note next to that title that says, Some Meandering Thoughts About Serving the Body of Christ. <laughs> That's more puritanical, you know. It's uh, <laughs> an older sounding title. I don't know what to call this. Um, I just have some thoughts I wanted to share with you. Some thoughts I wanted us to share together to kick around some things. Um, but let's start in 1 Thessalonians 4. <clears throat> Verses 9 and 10, Paul writing to this church that had been doing so well, a church that was exemplary in many ways. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. There's a, a time and place to preach to the choir, right? What does that phrase mean, preach to the choir? Someone give me a basic layman's terms definition. It means to give an argument to someone who already agrees with you. <laughs> okay. To give an argument to someone who already agrees with you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it means to speak to those who are already in line, to urge them to stay in line. Those who are on the right track, to urge them to stay on the right track. And I, I, this morning, I, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I was uh, struck recently uh, with this idea of uh, church culture. You know, every church has a culture. Uh, you, if you've ever visited a church, you've experienced another church's culture, whether that's good or bad or somewhere in between. Every church kind of has a way about them. And if we wanted to know what our true culture is, we could just ask someone who's here for a Sunday or two, what was your experience like? That can be a little scary, right? <laughs> uh, heaven forbid someone would say, well, no one, I didn't talk to anybody. No one came up and introduced themselves. That'd be bad. Um, but every church has a culture. And one of the things that our former pastor, Lee Whitworth, did so well was establish a culture of service in this church. That's something that I was thinking about here over the last couple of weeks, hoping that we're maintaining here the culture of service. And uh, it does seem as though God confirmed that over the last couple of weeks where I've seen you guys step up in so many ways. You guys have served so well. These last couple of weeks, I've seen so many things. And, and I've had to be in the position here a couple of times where I've had to ask somebody to do something, which I don't particularly like. And I can't think of a time anybody said no. I, I, can, I could go around and, and think of examples here and share examples of where you guys have just stepped up. You're, you're ready. And that's so good. I don't want us to ever lose that. 
And so this morning, I'm not like coming alongside you as a stalled car, trying to get this stalled car to go. I, I'm jumping in the car and saying, let's keep our foot on the pedal. Let's, let's keep doing what we're doing. And uh, I, I, want, I want us to be encouraged this morning by the promises of Scripture towards servants. I'm so proud of you guys. Proud in the, in the good way. There's a bad way to be proud. Proud in the good way. I'm so proud of you guys. Let's go to Hebrews 6, toward the back of your Bible. This is one of those passages that, at least for me, I read and it's like, that's been there all along. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you when you're reading the Bible? It's like, I've read Hebrews, you know, umpteen times, and I've never seen this. How is that possible? But Hebrews chapter 6, would someone please read for us verses 9 through 12. Hebrews 6, 9 to 12. Who's got it? Go ahead. Sam, go ahead. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show that same earnestness to have the full acceptance of hope until the end, so that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. All right. What an amazing passage. I think the reason why this passage has been so overlooked in my mind is because when I think of Hebrews 6, I think of those first eight verses. Hebrews 6 is a... Uh, a famous stumbling block for preachers. It's a difficult chapter because of those first eight verses that talk about apostasy, that talk about those who have fallen away, those who taste of the good gift of salvation, those who taste of the Holy Spirit and participate and then fall away. And for many, this is a passage that's used to show that you can lose your salvation. For others who don't believe you can lose your salvation, it's a passage where you say this is talking about the mystery of apostasy. But it is talking about uh, two different groups of people here in Hebrews chapter 6. That's important to note. If you look at Hebrews 6 verse 4, you'll notice that it says, For in the case of those, not some of you, not you all, not potentially us, but it's talking about a separate group, those. And then if you drop down to verse 9, the first verse that Sam read for us, instead of saying those, we see beloved and we see you. Two different groups of people. So there are those who have tasted of the heavenly gift. There are those who have been informed of salvation, those who have been informed about the Christian faith, and then they fell away. And I'm sure all of us know people in that camp. If you're in the church long enough, you'll meet many. And I think it's in reference to those, those first eight verses, those who were never redeemed by God. It says in the end of Jude, in verse 24 of Jude, God is able to keep you from stumbling. Well, these people have stumbled so as to fall. They have fallen away. So the contrast is in verse 9, there are better things. For those who are truly saved, those who have been born again, those who are sealed until the day of redemption, there are better things. Don't you like that term in verse 9? There are better things for us than for those who have fallen away. 
Let's look at verses 7 and 8. So just back up before those verses. Look at this contrast that's set up here. Hebrews 6, 7. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. What a contrast. This also kind of takes our mind back, or at least it should, to the parable of the soils. A sower went out to sow and he cast his seed indiscriminately and there were four types of soil. And there's some soil where a plant springs up, but before too long it ends up dying, whether because of the lack of depth of the root, it is scorched by the sun, the plant dies, or the plant grows up and it's choked out by the thorns and thistles, the cares of this world, the vanity of riches, it chokes out the life of the plant and it dies. But then there's also that good soil where the seed falls and the plant grows up and the plant bears much fruit. That's the same contrast that's set up here, isn't it? Verse 7, there's a plant that has vegetation. And then verse 8, there's a plant that yields thorns and thistles. Well, for those who are truly purchased, redeemed by God, there are better things. There's vegetation. There's salvation. We could obviously start with that when we think about the better things. We have salvation from the Lord. We get to know Him for all eternity. We get to live in the new earth for eternity. This new creation that God is going to make. We get to live with Him, growing in our knowledge, learning and growing for all eternity. And then there's also the things that accompany salvation. The fruit of our faith. I think this is probably what the author of Hebrews had in mind with that term vegetation. The fruit of our faith. And the blessing from God that comes with that fruit. And what he specifically points out, look down at verse 10. Look at what he's specifically pointing out about the fruit of our faith. Basically, it's loving God by serving people. God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. And how is that love shown? How did you do that? In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Loving God by serving people. You can also flip that around and say, serving God by loving people. Or you could say, loving God by loving people, or serving God by serving people. That's how God has designed our salvation to play out, isn't it? To love our neighbor, but more specifically, to minister to the saints, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we think of these better things, there's this ministry to our fellow believers in the church. That is how salvation is to play out. And one of the better things, too, we have to admit, is being a recipient of the service of other believers. As they serve us, as they minister to us, as we are in the church and we receive ministry from the saints. These are the better things that the author has in mind. And he highlights God's faithful character here, doesn't he? It says in verse 10 that God is not unjust so as to 
forget. I thought God was omniscient. How can an omniscient being forget anything? You guys got any thoughts on that? How could God even forget? What does that mean? Because you know there are also some passages where it says he does forget. He remembers your sins no more. How do you explain that? Did he have one of those men in black moments where he held the little red light up and whoop, all memory is erased about, his, about your sin? The ideal is he doesn't. If he were talking with us, he wouldn't bring it up. He, he wouldn't include that mm. in his decisions yeah. about us and towards us. So, this yep. is just kind of the opposite. Yes, right. Or like the vice versa, the inverse. He will remember. He will bring it up. He will point it out. Yes. That's very good. So yeah, he remembers our sins no more, meaning legally he doesn't hold that against us anymore. Praise God. Our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. He will not hold your sins against you. Blessed is the man or woman to whom God does not impute sin. Psalm 32. Remembers your sin no more. But this is, like Jim pointed out, kind of the inverse where he does remember, he does bring into account, he does bring to bear on your relationship with him and for eternity, your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. This he will take into account. Your Christian service, your work for him in this life, caring for the saints. And the saints isn't in reference to just, you know, Mary and Francis and all these other saints that the Catholic Church has set up. Saints here means holy ones. And each and every Christian is considered a saint by God's standard. Because each and every Christian, by definition, is in Christ. Can you get any holier than being in Christ? So each and every one of you who has believed on the Lord Jesus is a saint. Yes. Your work in the Lord, showing love toward his name. As you've done it for the least of these, you've done it to me. We are to live saintly, our work in the Lord. So it says in verse 10, this is love toward God's name. God, of course, has revealed himself with many names. We could go back to the Old Testament and see... Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace, God is our provider, Elohim, El Shaddai, Adonai, all these Hebrew, different Hebrew names. But we have particularly come to know God through the person of Jesus, right? So I think we could see this as Christians as love toward God's name means a passion for Jesus Christ, having a passion for God himself as he is revealed himself ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. And this love toward God's name. So follow the logic of verse 10. This love toward God's name is manifested in ministering to fellow church members toward the saints. Now, of course, there's this idea of caring for all Christians broadly. That's what the sermon is about this morning, actually, as we continue to see how the Corinthians we're giving a big donation to the saints in Jerusalem. But who's this talking about in your day-to-day life? 
It's talking about the people in this room, isn't it? Your love toward God is shown, it's manifested in how you minister to the people in this room. And God won't forget that. It would be unjust for God to forget that. This is one of the many reasons why it's nonsensical to be a Christian who rejects fellowship, isn't it? It's just nonsensical. How, how, what would God remember? If you're a Christian that avoids fellowship with other Christians, what would God be remembering in this verse in your life? Caring for those in-house, quite literally, in this house of God. Those who serve the brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to take us to another passage that you would not expect. You, I, I would pull all of you on your way in, say, hey, I'm going to talk about Hebrews 6. What do you think my cross-reference is going to be? And none of you would pick this chapter. 1 Timothy 5. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy 5 together. Let's just back a couple books. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I want us to look at verses 3 to 10. When you get there, have someone read that for us, please. 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 10. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers day, night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Okay. A passage about true widows. That's interesting, huh? Well, I wanted to start at verse 3 to give us the bigger context. But let's hone in on verses 9 and 10. What's going on here, of course, is the church is caring for those who are widows in the church. And they had a list, apparently. Verse 9 talks about a list. A list of, a list of women who the church was to care for. Maybe this is what uh, Mitt Romney was talking about a few years ago when he said binders full of women. Do you remember he got in trouble for that? <laughs> Maybe he's just talking about caring for widows. Maybe that's what it is. They had a list of women that they were caring for, but there are qualifications to this, right? It says in verse 9, these are things that a woman uh, kind of can't help. I mean, the first one she can't help. She can't be less than 60 years old, and she is to have been the wife of one man. But look at verse 10, this qualification for a true widow. Look at these words, reputation, hospitality, washed, assisted, devoted. So many things are jammed into this one verse about what makes a widow a true widow. Well, I'm bringing that up in connection to Hebrews 6 because that's all ministry to the saints, isn't it? This is all caring for 
those in the church, besides hospitality to strangers, but a reputation for good works, where's that going to be seen? In the church. To wash the saints' feet, that's us. To assist those in distress, to devote herself to every good work. Now, if this is a qualification for a true widow, how much more do you think this should be a qualification, really, just for all of us, or a standard for all of us, a goal for all of us as Christians? How we are to live. We sometimes you know, present this to men in 1 Timothy 3, where you have the qualifications for an elder. Not every man, of course, will be an elder in the church. But you look at those qualifications and you think, that's a good standard for every man. Well, I think this is another place where you can go and say this is a good standard for every person in the church every christian first timothy 5 10 to have a reputation for good works you have children to bring up children in the lord to show hospitality to strangers to wash the saints feet to assist those in distress to devote ourselves to every good work that could be an expectation for each one of us and the lord will not be unjust so as to forget this work in the Lord. We love God by serving people, but especially those people who are in the household of faith. Galatians 6.10, as you have opportunity, do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the New Testament priority we're given in our doing good for people, especially those who are in the household of faith. So back in Hebrews 6, there's a lot to embrace in verse 10. This love that we have toward His name is manifested in our ministry toward the saints. And God is not unjust to forget it. If God were to reject our service in this way, it would be unjust of Him. That can sound kind of bold, can't it, to tell God what's just and what's unjust? But this is His word. This is what He has said. Here's your promise. As you serve one another in the local church, God will not forget your service. He will be just. He will be faithful. He will remember every good deed you've done for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every good deed you've done in your ministry toward the saints that's been done out of a heart of faith. God will remember. How motivating is this? I find it extremely motivating. God's called us to it. He's not going to be unjust and forget it. He will remember what we do in His name for His people. So my encouragement to you this morning is to keep going, to keep pressing in. Again, you're doing well. I'm not coming alongside a stalled car, praise God. You guys are all doing so well. Keep going. Keep going in the Lord. Look at verse 11, Hebrews 6, verse 11. That's what he's saying. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence, or as we learned last week, you could understand that as enthusiasm, energy. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Keep being enthusiastic about love toward Christ that's manifested in service. Keep being energetic about that. And when we love God while serving others in this way, look at what it says, verse 11. What are we doing? 
we are realizing the full assurance of our hope. Even assurance is tied into this. Assurance in the Christian life of the hope that we have, of being with God forever, having our salvation made complete, being people who belong to Christ, the people for God's own possession. You are realizing that hope in the way you love God by ministering to others. And so what we can say as the inverse here is that rejecting that will actually keep us from realizing the full assurance of our hope. Rejecting ministry to brothers and sisters in Christ will keep us from realizing the full assurance of our hope. Rejecting loving God's name in this way is actually going to like cap you off here in realizing your hope. I don't know if there are any NASCAR fans in here, but I was raised on NASCAR. Okay. Even in our uh, basement in the house, Dad, Dad made the basement tile a checkered flag, black and white checkered flag, and he <clears throat> had showcases with all his NASCAR collectibles, with all his neon beer signs in the basement around the pool table. And one of the things he always lamented about NASCAR was the introduction of restrictor plates. What's a restrictor plate, Jerry? <laughs> I believe it's an acronym, but I can't remember what it stands for. Well, a restrictor plate is basically capping the driver's speed at a certain level. Because you know when NASCAR started, it was just good old boys going out, fixing up their own cars, and having fun on the track, and it was extremely dangerous. <laughs> you know, it was a bit primitive in one sense, even though they had cars. Um, but over time, they've really tried to even the playing field. And part of that was introducing restrictor plates. So on the back stretch of Talladega, they couldn't go as fast as Bill Elliott used to go. I've heard that story from my dad who knows how many times. <laughs> he drove the number 94 McDonald's car. Well, when we reject God's design for how we are to live, we're putting a restrictor plate on our assurance. It's one way to think about that. It's like you're not realizing the full potential. You're not realizing all that God has for you when you're not pressing into the body. And those of you in here, you servants, you know how fulfilling it is spiritually to be active, to be involved, to be used by God as an instrument in His hand to care for other people you're realizing the full assurance of your hope. And rejecting that is like cooking a meal but never getting to eat it. The people who study the Bible all on their own and never come into contact with other Christians, who don't fellowship with other Christians, they're doing all this work of cooking the meal, but they don't get to enjoy it. The Christian life is enjoyed, it's experienced in the community that God has designed. And there's a warning here that not only will you fall short of realizing the full assurance of your hope, but verse 12, if we reject God's design here, we'll become sluggish. What an interesting word, sluggish. And that word actually means dull of hearing. You'll become deaf. You'll become spiritually deaf, out of tune, like an old guitar. I've got a couple old guitars at home, and I don't know if they'll ever be in tune again. And sadly, that's where many people end up. They just 
keep walking away from God's design. To be spiritually deaf, to be spiritually sluggish, means you are not experiencing God fully. How can you be led by the Spirit if you're spiritually deaf? How can you be truly led by God in service when you're sluggish in the flesh? You can't. Do you want to experience true spirituality? Be involved in the body of Christ. Be a member in the body of Christ who functions as he or she is designed to function. That is where true spirituality rests for the Christian. Our salvation is played out in the community. And it also says in verse 12 that when we embrace love toward Christ manifested in ministry, we're imitating those who have come before us in the faith. You see that? We won't be sluggish, but instead we will be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is a part of carrying on the faith once for all handed down to the saints. This faith that's handed down, again, that's from Jude. I think that's Jude 3 or maybe Jude 4. There's a faith that was once for all handed down to the saints in community together. We're carrying it on as we serve in the body of Christ. And I would say, too, that this verse instructs us, don't look to the world for examples to follow, but look to the church. Look to even church history. Those who have come before us, imitate them. The world is constantly giving us people to imitate. Don't do that. You are not of the world. You are of Jesus Christ. And you are members of one another, Scripture says. And that has no bounds in time. We can look back and we can imitate the faith of those who have gone before us. Let me pause there. I've been talking a lot. Let me just see what thoughts, questions you have. I've got a few more passages, three more, I want us to look at, but... What do you got? Jerry? When we are sluggish, God could be. If we are His, He does have other means. But it brings in our nose, rivals and bits. We're not supposed to be that Yeah, right. His sheep are supposed to hear His voice and follow Him. Yeah. It's Gog, actually, it says in the Old Testament, that He puts hooks in to lead him around. So don't imitate Gog. Imitate the sheep. That's good. What else? Maybe if we're feeling sluggish, if we're realizing we're not listening, that's like a call to repentance and Amen. a call to being and keep serving and being others-minded. Amen. Yes, if you feel spiritually stalled on the side of the road of your journey through this life, uh, Melissa was just saying, perhaps that's God saying, get back around God's people. You know the illustration of the charcoal, right? You take one of those pieces of charcoal that's on fire with the rest and you set it to the side and how quickly it'll go out compared to the rest. We keep each other aflame here. We keep each other warmed, you could say, spiritually. We care for one another. Keep one another afloat. That's God's design. 
Anything else? It's, uh, when we're talking about us as individuals, it's building ourselves to the spirit and allowing him to go where he Amen. wants to go. Yes. And that's uh talk about restrictor plates. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. But it's also I don't know, it's uh, It's a challenge, but it's so much more fulfilling yeah. and encouraging when we yield ourselves to the Spirit and say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, that's what I'm going to do. That's how I ended up in Utah. So. <laughs> <laughs> does, the, uh, does the Holy Spirit ever lead us away from ministering to the saints? No. Now, of course, there are times when People end up in bad situations in fellowships and in churches. Uh, those are, of course, exceptions where people need to create distance from a particular local church, maybe. But that doesn't mean, okay, now you're on your own for the rest of your life. I have met several people in situations like that. I just had a couple of conversations just on Thursday. Two different people, two different situations where... They've had bad experiences in a church and they don't really want to open themselves up to trust again. But that's not being spirit-led. Spirit leads us into community. It may not be that same community that hurt you, but he will provide another community. Because the Spirit places us in the body and administers the gifts as he wills. That's what he does. Jim. I think sometimes we can get in God's way of Continually jump in and pull somebody out of a bad situation or try to solve the problems for them. I've seen, particularly, I've seen this with parents hmm. continually taking care of their kids' problems. Yeah. Sometimes God wants those people to take care of their problems themselves. Yeah. He wants them to keep going toward rock bottom because he's got something down there for them, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But that's still, I think, being spirit led, we won't do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely wisdom to be employed. A time and place for everything. Yep. Jerry just said, we have to be cautious about providing help to people who haven't been helpful. Because God helps those who help themselves, right? <laughs> Why don't you clarify a little bit more? You can do it. Given gifts, again, 
something with the getting started. It's one of my favorite things to do in this life, is make you struggle. <laughs> yeah, think and talk at the same time. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the same Jesus who helped the undeserving did teach us, don't cast your pearls before swine. So, there is a balance there, for sure. And there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, too, isn't there? Let's go to some of these words of Jesus. Let's go to John 13, one of the other passages I wanted to show you. John 13. Looking at just verses 34 and 35. Someone read these for us. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What's so new about this commandment? A new commandment I give to you. What's new about this? Because that commandment can be found in various places up until this point in your Bible. What's new about it? It's a qualifier. What's that? Jesus. Just as I have loved you, Amen. you also are to love one another. Okay. Self-sacrificially. Now the standard is no longer commandments written on stone, but the standard is Christ himself, who is higher than commandments written on stone, isn't he? Our love toward one another is to have as its goal, as its aim, Christ-likeness, who paid the ultimate sacrifice, who showed such love that he would give his own life, he would lay down his life. That's the newness of this commandment, is that we would imitate Christ in laying down our lives for one another. And what does this passage say the effect will be? Who will know that we are His? The world. Now, of course, we're going to know that we belong to Him by loving one another. Through loving one another, we're going to experience this confirmation that we belong to Jesus. But the world, we're talking about unregenerate people here, unsaved people, those who have rejected the gospel, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, those who have perhaps believed a different gospel. They are going to know that we truly belong to Jesus by the way we love one another. By the way we lay down our lives for one another the way Christ did. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why the church is so ineffective in the world is because we're not loving one another. Just broadly speaking. It starts with each individual local church, doesn't it? And the individuals who make up that local church deciding day by day that we are going to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. 
And we make a difference in our church, we make a difference in our neighborhoods, we make a difference in our community by being a light shining in a dark place by the way we love one another. Our community is going to know if we belong to Jesus by the way we love one another. That's also pretty motivating, isn't it? It's extremely motivating for me. Let's go to 1 John. So we were in the Gospel of John. Now let's go to 1 John. It's the last place I'll ask you to turn to. 1 John chapter 3. It's a bit of a longer passage. I'd like to have somebody read. First John 3, verses 13 to 24. 13 to the end of the chapter. Who can read that for us? First John 3, 13 to the end. Caleb, thank you. Do not be surprised by the world hates you. We know that we have pressed out of death into life, and we love brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding with you. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need. Shows his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know about by this we are of the truth and will share our heart before him. And whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart. <coughs> and whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because He keeps His commandments and do things that are passing, that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit who is given us. Wow. Well, the context is set in the opening verses of that passage. Verse 13 says, We are not to be surprised if the world hates us. So we already have this dichotomy of the world and us. We are in the world, not of the world. And we are not to be surprised. When the world, who also recognizes that we belong to Jesus by the way we love one another, we're not to be surprised when that same world hates us because that world hated the one we belong to. But we know, verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death into life, or you could say that we truly belong to Jesus because we love the brethren. We love one another, our fellow Christians. He who does not love abides in death. What a statement. This word for love, of course, this is the same author as the Gospel of John. This word for love, agape, is supremely exemplified by Jesus and what he did. So you can also read into that 
laying down our lives for one another. We know that we passed out of death into life, verse 14, because we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He who does not lay down his life abides in death. What a wonderful paradox of the Christian faith. He who does not die is dead. That's what this verse is saying. He who does not die to self, he who does not lay down his life for the sake of his brothers, is actually truly dead. Wow. Verse 18. We are not to love with word or tongue only. If we're loving one another just in lip service, if we're loving one another just by the way we greet one another on Sunday morning, that's not love. That's a game. And we don't want to play games. We want to love one another, verse 18, as we're commanded to, in deed and truth. Indeed and truth. That's how we love one another. This is his commandment. You see that come up in verse 22. We keep his commandments. What are his commandments? Well, praise God, he goes on to tell us in the next verse. So don't have your mind go to what is written in stone. Initially, your mind can eventually go there. But look at his immediate context. His commandments that we keep, that we believe, verse 23, in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that first commandment? That we believe in Jesus. But then the second one is to love one another. Just as we read in John 13, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is what you are called to do in the Christian life. Is to believe in Jesus, show love toward the name of God, Hebrews 6.10. Having a passion for Jesus Christ out of love, out of faith, and have that love overflow into laying down your life for one another. That's the Christian life. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple. Believe in Jesus and love one another as Jesus has loved us. I was, uh, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, as I was thinking about church culture, I was flipping through this book this week, The Church as a Culture of Care by Dale Johnson. Dale Johnson is the president of ACBC, a, a biblical counseling group. And uh, listen to what he says here at his conclusion. I'm going to read a, an extended portion here. So hopefully you can follow along. I know it's tempting for your mind to wander. And I'm reading from something, but think of his words here. The church is the body of Christ. Being part of his body is not simply attending a scheduled service, listening to faithful preaching, and placing our name on a membership role. We are the body of Christ because we are a redeemed people. We have been reconciled to God, and we are one in Christ. As a body, we are members of one another, called to care for each other. 
As the body of Christ, we comfort, serve, bear burdens, exhort, forgive, sing, show hospitality, rejoice, admonish, pray, teach, commit, encourage, help, and speak the truth in love. We do all of this in ways that are beautiful, difficult, sacrificial, and countercultural. We care for souls because God gave us His church to be His community of care, His Word as our guide for care, and His Spirit as the strength of our care. As pastors lead and members serve, God builds a renewed and unified community in the midst of a broken world. We do not need to fear our responsibility or neglect our calling. Rather, we pursue this eternally valuable act of being the church, and as we do, we become a culture of care. But this type of care and this type of community takes every member of the body. All of us are messy. Amen? We vacillate between being not nearly as good as we think we are to not nearly as bad as we know we could be. A baseline truth about the church is that none of us is perfect, and we all need to grow and change. It is amazing how God designed such a gathering of imperfect people led by a perfect Savior with a sufficient word and guided by the Holy Spirit. The church is a place where, despite our frailties and inadequacies, we can care and be cared for. We can be served and serve. We can be corrected and correct. We can grow and help others to grow. There should be no passive bystanders in the church. In God commanding us to meet the needs of others, He strategically created a family of people to care for us. When we pour ourselves out for others, others are called to do the same unselfishly toward us. God grows us and yet cares for us all at the same time. It's good. Good word. Any thoughts or questions as the plane lands here? Steve. With me, it's, you know, I try and, you know, be friendly with people in here in the church, but when I get out away from church, that's where I really got to try and focus in on having the attitude of, of serving people instead of serving myself. Amen. And uh, it's, it's easy to be judgmental on people without even knowing anything about them. And, and yet... Christ gave up his life for his friends, so I've got to learn to give up my life and treat other people out there like they're my friends, even though I don't know them. Yes. Yeah, in Philippians 2, it says, treat one another more importantly than yourself, or as more important than yourself. Yeah. What, what a servant mind that you would walk around treating everybody like a royal Other thoughts, questions? Dean? I'm uh, just thinking, you know, if, if anyone's happened to be serving others outside of this body more than within, um, we're really taken away from each other. And, you know, from from the gospel of the parent, filled with one another. Um, so think through that as 
but when you do live your life and interact with the rest of this world, sometimes more than here at this church. Um, but also, if, if you're in the realm of serving a lot within this body, and um, it's it's something that you're passionate about and you do a lot, um, keep in mind that we, we need to take caution and, and maybe sometimes looking inward and feeling selfish, like, well, no one's serving me now. Mm -hmm. um, and, if, and if anyone's sitting in here that feels like, well, I don't, I don't think I serve enough, what can I do? I'd say, you know, look at those that are serving the most yes. and, and fuel their fire. Give them encouragement, give them thanks, you know, see what you can do for them, um, for our pastors and for our, our praise team and for, you know, Sam and Abby singing hymns and for the nursery workers and the Sunday school teachers. You know, pour into them because that, that really builds them up in the strength of the Lord and encourages them. That's, that's really how we can serve each other and, and get more excited about service. So look at those aspects of it because... Uh, Everyone's in a different seat, literally and, and spiritually, um, and we can all get caught in our own heads. And, and prayer is really where it's where it's going to start. You know, pray to God on how you're going to change your trajectory if, if it's in service or if it's not in service and you need to and you want to, or if it's outside the church or inside the church. Start there, and then ask your your closest friends where's a good place to start. It's a good word. Thank you. We can always use more people to worship, mm. safety. All yes, that's right. That's good. God will not be unjust. He will remember your work. That's a promise. And whether we believe that or not, I think we'll show by the way that we live. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. Lord, you know my heart. There is no other church I'd rather be a part of. I thank you for these people and for the ways that they have ministered to me so much over the last decade. And I look forward to the decade to come. Lord, I ask that you would help us all to truly lay down our lives for one another, to consider one another as more important than ourselves, that we would be serving your name, loving your name as we serve and love others from a heart of faith, knowing the promise that you will not forget our work. God, we love you so much. You've made us, you've redeemed us, you've given us a future and a hope. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You've given us yourself, the Holy Spirit of promise. You've given us Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith and our perfect example of love. God, help us to be encouraged today, to be energized, enthusiastic by your power, to love your name by ministering to the saints. God, thank you for what's ahead of us today. Bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.